Now, the last few weeks, we have been going through these passages from the book of John, chapter 6, and they focus on bread and Jesus feeding um, people with uh, 5,000 people with uh, just a handful of loaves and fishes and the sense of abundance and a sense of welcome that Jesus presents, that he offers this bread. And then he starts talking about himself, saying, I am the bread of life. I am eternal life. Trust in me. And then last week, I, I warned you that it starts getting a little bit weird as it goes on. So consider yourself warned. Soon I will read you the passage for today. Um, I remember preaching on this passage six years ago, and we were in Auckland. I was doing my training, and I was at this church in St. Helier's called St. Philip's. And I had to preach on this strange passage. And not only that, there were six people in the congregation who got to mark me. And then it was given to me um, anonymously. So they got to say whatever they wanted about my sermon. So, you know, quite a stressful situation to be in. Anyway, I thought it went okay. I was kind of happy. And then the six sheets, I read them. They were good. They thought it was okay. But then I had to sit down with the associate priest who was happy to tell me everything I had done wrong. And the sermon. Now, I don't remember a word that I said in that sermon, which is a strange thought because I spent hours and hours and hours preparing it, knowing that people would be listening and assessing me on it. And so, preparing this week, I thought, what hope is there for you? <laughs> if I can't even remember what I say, you know, let's enjoy this time together, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to read you a strange passage from the Bible. My hope and prayer is that something from today lodges and it can be transformative for you. But here is Jesus. He has fed these 5,000 people and he said, come to me. I am the bread of life. I am the true bread. I am eternal life. And then he says this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him, or her. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. I like to call this the cannibal passage. Um, what is Jesus saying here? Now, important to take this step back. This was written by John. And as I mentioned last week, it was written six decades after Jesus had died and risen. Now, John has watched this new straggly group of Jesus followers bond together and then start telling people this message. Jesus 
is the true bread. Jesus is life eternal. And they go out into the whole Roman Empire. And by this stage, John himself is living in the outskirts of the Roman Empire and watching these early churches and seeing what is happening to them. And so he's reflecting back. He's writing after most of the letters in the New Testament by Paul and others. He's writing after that. And he's got this longer perspective. 60 years have passed. He's an old man. And he's reflecting and pondering what is going on. And he's got a message for this group. And so I want to reflect, what is it that he might have been thinking when he wrote that? When we hear him talking about, eat my flesh, drink my blood, it's a pointer to a Christian practice that has uh, emerged and has been carried on for 2,000 years, and that is having communion or the Eucharist or celebrating Lord's Supper or an agape feast or one of the many other names that is given to this. And here is this moment where Christians gather together and they eat bread and drink blood and they remember Jesus and they say this is Christ's body, this is Christ's blood. So here is what John is most likely talking about, this practice of communion. And communion was instituted, it was brought into being by Jesus at the Passover meal. Here's the most famous painting of this. When the disciples are gathered around the table and uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he describes this, what has happened and he says, the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so here is this practice. And this is what John is talking about, this practice of eating bread and drinking wine. And why is he writing about this? Why does he use such graphic language? What point is he trying to make to these early followers that would be reading this? So the early followers, we are told in one of the earliest books, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. This was a practice that they began doing right from the early days. Many years ago, I had the privilege of going to Rome, and while I was there, I went and visited the catacombs. The catacombs are the graveyards of the early Christians, and they dug them, they're underground, and they kind of created, it's almost like a bunk room um, with lots of bunks, and that's where the bodies went. And when the Christians started becoming, uh, being persecuted by the Romans, they would go and hide in these areas, and that's where they would have their church services, and that's where they would have communion together. And on the walls, there are pictures um, depicting them gathering and having these communion meals together, and this is what marked out the early church. Here they, they gathered, they had bread together, they had wine together. And so this is the practice that is emerging, and what does John want to say to this church. So he's writing six decades later. Now, John, interestingly, 
never tells in the Passover story the story of Jesus saying, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. All the others, Matthew, Martin, Luke, they say that. They do the reminder, this is what Jesus said. This is what we've been instructed to do. John never does. Instead, he weaves through his story of Jesus' life, this picture of Jesus gathering people, of feeding them. And John's kind of, I think, conception is a lot richer. It's more full that Jesus is out with the masses, giving the bread, sharing the food, that Jesus gathers his disciples when they are afraid and worried after his death. And John uses the language that by then would have been quite an established pattern in the church. Jesus took bread, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples and said, he took bread, he broke it, he gave it to them. This is the pattern that they would have repeated and John uses it. Um, In the story of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, gave it to his disciples. And then after Jesus is risen from the dead, his disciples are worried, he's on the beach, he's cooked a meal for them. Jesus came, took bread, gave it to his disciples. John has a very rich picture of the sharing of the meal, of this fellowship, of the gathering of people. Now this is just a wee fun aside. You might also notice that whenever John um, talks about it, he's also got fish always. So he took bread, gave thanks, and also the fish, and then in the bottom one, and the fish likewise. Now in some of these early paintings of the Christians celebrating communion, they have fish. So, you know, something we could institute here, a little bit of tuna on the side of your wafer. <laughs> Just a strange, strange aside. Anyway, John has this rich picture of welcoming people into community. So what point, what point is he trying to make when here he is telling people, you know, eat my flesh? And the Greek isn't just eat, it's chew and gnaw. Here's my flesh, chew and gnaw on it. What's interesting how people have interpreted this through history, for the Catholic Church, the Catholics uh, believe that when you celebrate communion and the priest prays over it, the bread and the wine transform by a miracle into the literal flesh and blood of Jesus. But then they are disguised back into bread and wine so that it doesn't feel like you're eating the flesh and blood. But that is the Catholic uh, position. And Catholics read this passage and they say, this is what it's here for. It's here to tell people that you're literally eating Jesus' flesh and blood when you take communion. Now, I've been asked, and I think it's a good question, what is the Anglican position on this? Now, the Anglican church is a church that doesn't like to take positions on things. It's, it's a broad tent. All are welcome. Whatever your views are, come on in. The official line is, we are agnostic on what happens at communion. All that matters, they say, is that you encounter the presence of Jesus. When you have communion, you encounter the presence of Jesus. And it's not just a meal to remember. This is something Jesus did. It's a meal to encounter the presence of Jesus. So here's John. Nora on my flesh. Consume me. Encounter me. Now, in the early church, they were gathering together, as we've heard, But it didn't all go well. And as the years and the decades passed, 
as things happen, it began to drift. And it's interesting that Paul, one of those first followers of Jesus, watched what was happening, and he wrote to the church in Corinth about what they were doing when they gathered together to eat communion. And he says this, When you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you, hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. I look, Paul is a tell it, talk it straight, tell it straight. Here's the early church, and when you see John's rich picture of this meal that Jesus shares and he welcomes and he calls people, and the early church have been eating together and sharing food together. Here is Paul noticing what they're doing, and it's like, it's shameful what you're doing. The poor are not getting fed, the rich are getting drunk. This is not a mark of the early followers of Jesus. This does not reflect God's beautiful kingdom that he's calling into being. This is an abomination, he'd say. This is terrible, and instead he says this, So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you're really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. Here's this call. The church is supposed to reflect this beautiful new community that God is calling into being. We all are welcomed where love is shared, where food and possessions are shared, where people give to those who have need. And John is reminding people, it's Jesus you're consuming. It's not just a meal for you to get drunk on. This is Jesus. It's about Jesus. Have you kept Jesus front and centre, or have you made it your own thing? I think this is a call for the church. In the Anglican church, in a traditional service, there's lots of rules and rituals and traditions that you go through. But we need to, in the midst of that, always remember it's Jesus. Jesus is there sharing his life, his hope, his community, and he is at the center. There's a theologian, Peter B. Price, and he notes this about communion. Jesus invites participation in a new order by calling on those who are trapped within the legalism of tradition to find new life through munching on him. The idea of eating flesh and blood was anathema to Jews, but Jesus needs to use an alternative metaphor to mark out the distinction between his community, which offers food for life, and the staleness and oppressiveness of law and tradition. Jesus discerns a longing for social justice among those who have received the bread at the feeding, but sees a people trapped by the bread that their ancestors ate. Jesus comes to bring new life, to breathe in this new hope, this new community, to push out the old traditions that are holding people back because he wants nothing to get in the way of people being able to draw their life and their hope from him. Another theologian notes this. In Jesus' bread of life discourse in the book of John, we're invited again and again 
to enter the mystery of how an incarnate God becomes real food for those who hunger. As Christians, we are called to be Christ's body. Jesus assures us that by consuming his body, we too are consumed and transformed so that we in turn can transform the world from death to life, despair to hope, exclusion to welcome, and judgment to mercy. Jesus assured those who would follow him that the source of strength, joy, and perseverance had to be truly superhuman. Without it, his followers would be without the energy and hope needed to continue. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Here is Jesus, the hope of the world, offering hope to us. You can be transformed. When you consume me, you are consumed. And that is true not just for communion. When we spend time with Jesus, when we prioritize putting some time aside, when we consume Jesus, we are consumed. We become overpowered by the love of God and the invitation is to be transformed into someone who can offer this hope and this life and this incredible hospitality and welcome to everybody. And here is this beautiful story in John. All are welcome. Come and consume me and be consumed and transformed so you can transform the world. There was a Catholic um, priest, his name was Father Damien, and uh, last century when leprosy was an issue, would have been a century before, 1800s, um, leprosy was an issue around the world. He went to Hawaii, and in Hawaii there was a leper's colony on the island of Molokai. And he went to serve these people. They often didn't get enough food, and he advocated for them And together they formed this community and he served them. Eventually he too got leprosy. And here he was, he gave his life to a group of people who'd been excluded physically and emotionally from their culture, their homes, their families, the people they loved. They were excluded and he created this new family and he gave his life for it. And this is what he says. The Eucharist or communion is at once the most eloquent proof of love and the most powerful means of fostering love in us. Jesus invites us to consume him, to be part of his transforming love in the world. Jesus said these words, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness, for they will be filled. And this is the prayer for us today that we could be overwhelmed with a hunger and a thirst for what is good and right in the world, that that would consume us and that we would allow ourselves to be filled with the power to see God's justice and righteousness transform our world through an encounter with Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, you offer yourself to us.
You offer your very being. You offer your power, your transforming love, your hope and your life. And you stand and you say, come. Come and take and eat. And God, so often we think that we know the answers, that we can do it in our own strength, that we've got what it takes. But you call us to something much greater, a sacrificial love for the world. And we cannot do that in our own strength. Jesus, come and transform us. May we encounter you. Consume us so that we may be a life-giving presence in the world that you love. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.